Well, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Christian Ann, and I'm one of the associate pastors. I got a wave from Tom in the back. Um, I haven't met you yet. It would be great to meet you before you leave. Um, I'm the pastor of community and care, so a part of my role is to help uh, newer people get involved and, and understand who Mill City Church is. And So please introduce yourself. And uh, I asked that question in the beginning for a reason. So uh, would you consider yourself a roller coaster person? So just by show of hands, who would say yes? I am definitely a roller coaster person. Okay, I'd say split. Like, oh, a couple more last-minute deciders. Yes, you are. Sweet. Um, and who of you are not? Okay, you're like, do not even try to get me on that thing, right? So there's a hand, there's like 50-50 risk takers in the room, I'd say. Well, something that um, has become a staff and leadership team tradition is to have a little fun in the summer, we like to go to the state fair. And at the state fair, I don't know if, if you remember seeing this, if you've ever been, um, but you see this massive, like, I don't even know how to describe it, but this kind of pivoting, swinging, uh, they call it the skyscraper, okay? And you see these people flying up and around and basically just, you know, pivoting you hundreds of feet into the air. And for some reason, it's become our tradition to send two of our staff members or leadership team members up on that pivot, okay? And so this last year, see, it had always been men. And the feminist in me was like, that's not right. And I'm like on the edge, okay, of, of roller coaster uh, comfortability. So Joelle Benson and I were the ones that were nominated to go, all right? So instead of explaining any more, I would love for you to just watch this video as uh, <clears throat> we, yes, I lay down my pride.
Father, forgive me. <laughs> now you know, everybody. Um, gosh, you can tell who is the pro, right? Give it up for Joelle. That was amazing. She's like comforting me. Oh, are you strapped in there? Don't tell. Don't ask if I'm strapped in there as we're like 100 feet up in the air. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I won't be doing that again, okay? But uh, it, was, it was super fun. Um, I'm glad we have that video. There's nothing else like it. It makes me just cry laughing every time. Um, but I, I play that, and I just invite you into that. Um, because I think, you know, when we sit down to a roller coaster, <clears throat> there is inevitable this, like, yes, we're willing to risk. We feel like we have to risk something. And even though I was completely strapped in, my heart was just pounding. For some reason, I was just completely freaked out. I mean, you can see on my face just the, the thin line between extreme fear and excitement, right? And so when we sit down to a roller coaster, it feels like a risk, and we have no idea what to expect. You know, may have heard or see it, but there's unknown nonetheless. And so whether you're 22 or whether you're 67, I think many of us would say that life feels like a roller coaster. And, you know, with the week that our country and our neighborhood and even just many people who are very close to us and us as a church, we have experienced a rough week. We feel the terror of the unexpected. And we, we feel the unknowns and there's excitement and there's fear and I think a lot of us, we, we just try to go through life avoiding risk in our lives. We try to just avoid it or ignore that, you know, we have to take these risks. But being human, I would argue, means taking risks, whether we welcome them or not. And we like to believe that there's this myth of, you know, that I'm in control, that I, I've got it all taken care of. Well, it is a myth. We don't have it out in our control. And, you know, a week like this one shows our world is coming apart from the seams is what it feels like. And so being in this teaching series called We Are What We Love, this morning I want to say that I think quite simply to love is to risk. That when we think about love, loving our neighbor, loving our family, loving God is a risk. And God invites us into this life of love and to love what he loves. And when we are in relationship with him, it feels a little risky, if we're honest. And it can feel somewhat precarious and dangerous at times. So I, I looked up the definition of risk, and it says this, a situation involving exposure to danger, chance, precariousness, unpredictability, instability, insecurity, I think the insurance auditors in the room probably are freaking out a little bit. Because that's, that's what it is. That's daily life. We just sort of try to ignore those risk factors. To love 
is to risk. And when we love something, when we love someone, something is always at stake, right? When I work with premarital couples, one of my favorite questions to ask, just to throw it out there, is what's at stake in that situation? What's at stake as you step into a marriage relationship with this person? But this morning, I think it's really important for me to acknowledge something, not only in general, but in light of the tragedies this week. That the risk to love is not evenly distributed in the room. That even as I talk this morning, as a white woman, it doesn't feel like a risk for me to drive in my car. And I, I won't, and many of us won't ever know the type of fear or pain that some of our brothers and sisters of color feel today, or for their kids, or for those who their jobs put them in danger. And so today, I know it's going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard to choose love rather than fear. But I hope that when we worship together, when we sit here in this room together, when we stand together in prayer, that we can be a congregation, that we can be a church that is marked by love rather than fear. And somehow this morning, that each of us can see who we are, made in the image of God as a brother and sister. And somehow when we leave this place, that we're somehow filled with more courage and more love and empathy and understanding, simply because God's in this room. Not necessarily because this message has to be super transformational, but because God is here and God is the one that unifies us, that there's any hope of reconciliation. And so the question I want to ask, and just to sort of get there, and similar to the what's at stake, is what makes love worth the risk? What makes love worth the risk? A couple weeks ago, Stephanie helped us sort of do a love audit on our life, where she helped us ask the question, what do we love? What has my heart? Is my life set up to love what God loves? And last week, J.D. started the conversation around love and fear. And so this is part two, in a way. And the teaching team thought it was important to actually spend two weeks on fear. This was like months ago. Who doesn't love spending more time on fear, right? But I think how timely, how timely it is to spend some extra time facing our fears. And so J.D. talked about how often, how too often we get caught up in this cycle of being motivated by fear, and we make our decisions out of fear rather than love. And that sometimes the first step is simply being aware of what we fear, aware that we're even fearful in the first place. And then secondly, to admit to God, to surrender, and saying, I actually don't know what to do. And God, somehow you are bigger, much bigger than my fears, and I need you. Sometimes we need to stop believing the myth that we have it all under our control. And so J.D. centered us in the scripture of 1 John 4, where it says, God is love, and there is no fear in love. And that perfect love casts out fear. 
But my question is how? For those of you who don't know, J.D. and I happened to be married. And so it was kind of an interesting experiment, preaching one week and then the next. And I think it was an interesting thing to notice how he's often this, this big picture guy, the theory guy, helps someone understand something as they think about it. But I'm like, how? Like, what does that look like? What's the nitty-gritty, the here and now, the here and now? And so I'm still asking this question, what does perfect love, how, how, how does that cast out fear? I want to know what that looks like in our lives, especially in a week where I'm left grappling, saying how can perfect love cast out this fear? And so we're going to go to an uh, earlier chapter in 1 John, 1 John 3.16. We're going to read this together. It's just two verses, but I think John makes it super simple. He says this. This is how we know. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I love how simple scriptures can just lay it all out. To me, what that says is Jesus was not motivated by some big cause. Who's motivated by us, by people. He laid down his life for us. So perhaps I think the better question for us to be asking this morning instead of what makes love worth the risk, it's who. Who makes love worth the risk? And so, so often we ask ourselves, you know, um, what am I passionate about or what am I called to or what am I willing to do? but it actually ends up being the who that's most important. And so as we, as we look at Jesus, I think maybe, maybe your first reaction is this. There's no way I could sacrifice the way that Jesus did. Sort of an untangible, there's no way I could go to the cross. That's, that's not necessarily what's required of me. But I think we sort of put Jesus all the time in this God category, and that's all that Jesus is. But he was fully human, too completely human, and he knew what it was like to fear. And he knew what it was like to be betrayed. And he felt that risk, if not more than us. And so scripture, I think, as, as we think about what that must have been like for Jesus to step towards the cross, scripture lets us into this really precious and like tenuous moment, fragile moment between Jesus and God in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you have your, your Bibles and you want to read along, um, we'll be reading from Matthew 26. And I just think it's, it's a really amazing image and, and picture that we get to see this. So Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here, while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. 
and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My father, Dad, Abba, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men just keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. The story goes on to say that he comes back and sees them sleeping again, frustrated, but then knowing that, he says, here comes my betrayer. And Judas comes with the, with the soldiers not long after that. And so I think maybe some of us, many of us resonate with that heartbreak that Jesus was feeling. And I think really some, a few important things that are happening in this moment that we see between Jesus and God is that Jesus didn't know exactly what he was going to face. But why, so then why did Jesus say yes? Why did Jesus choose to take a step forward towards what he knew was some sort of pain and some sort of suffering? And I think earlier, as we read in 1 John, I think we'd like to think it was us, that it was simply him motivated by compassion and that he saw the hurt of a broken world. But the contrast in this scripture is huge, Right? between his relationship with the disciples and his relationship with God. The disciples fell asleep on him and then betrayed him verses later. And so while I do think Jesus was moved with compassion for us to go to the cross, it was that relationship with the Father. That was the most important relationship. And so he took the risk he said yes to God. He said yes to the Father, not out of obligation, I don't think, but because he trusted the Father. He knew that the Father wouldn't, wouldn't leave him out to dry. That relationship was so strong that even though he didn't want to and even though he feared what was to come, he knew he could trust the Father. He could trust God. That is, the relationship with the Father made the sacrifice worth it. And so what we learn from Jesus here is that sacrifice isn't something that you do for God. I think that's where I've been mistaken. And as I've been studying this scripture in the past few weeks, I used to always think that, you know, sacrifice was something that we did to sort of get a pat on the back from God saying, good job, or look how much, you know, you, you did for me. And that's what I sort of read when I would read that in the, with the Israelites. That it was something we did to please God. But I think, rather, what we see with Jesus here, it was the way that he knew God. It was the way that he stepped towards God and he said yes to the Father. It was the way in which he would know God. 
And so it might be the way that we know him as well, that we know God as well. When we step into sacrifice, not knowing what the results are going to be, that we take that risk. And so what does this look like? You know, this is a big this is a big overarching theme, and it's a big scripture, and it's heavy, and it's been a hard week. Well, what does this look like in everyday Mill City Church? And so I want to share with you um, sort of what this has been looking like in JD's and my life. Um, I guess the ways that God's been asking us to risk. Uh, and honestly, it feels like a huge risk, and if I did the whole blogging thing, which I obviously can't find the attention to do because I'm an in-the-moment person, this would be um, a blog post I would have written. So I'm going to read this for you to sort of let you into our story a little bit. And uh, yeah, hopefully, well, God's been in it. So tears, sacrifice, discomfort, and brokenheartedness. Honestly, things I naturally tend to avoid. But about a year ago, I had no idea that we had unlocked the door to experience these emotions like we hadn't before. About a year and a half ago, JD and I started this journey towards adoption. We started to ask each other when we would like to start having kids, when we'd hope to do that. And adoption had always been a part of the conversation, but it wasn't really a part of our conversation until we were driving home from a worship gathering, and something just sparked. We felt like we were going to pursue adopting first. And to our knowledge, we can have biological children, but there was something about saying yes first to an adopted child. We chose you first. And so this is kind of how I work. I talk about something, I decide something, and then I dive in head first, forgetting to check if there's water in the pool. And so God, have mercy on me. The Holy Spirit has been around to guide me, and I'm married to a very thoughtful man who's also very strategic. And so when we started this process, we started with learning. Because quite honestly, we didn't know anything about adopting a child. We learned about domestic infants, international, and the foster to adopt process. We listened to stories, we went to orientations, and honestly, we were really overwhelmed by all the options. But it was the foster to adopt process that gripped us. A friend of ours once told us, <clears throat> Michael, you know what you are called to when something won't let go of you. We do a lot of things in life and potentially with a lot of fervor. But calling is when a piece of God's voice rings in your ear day after day, propelling you to follow him. That was the foster to adopt process for us. It chose us. And honestly, if God hadn't slowed us down, we probably would have a kid right now. Thankfully, he gave us a yellow light because about four months into the process, he said, wait, and we didn't know why. Something a presenter said at one of our trainings was, you better be ready for this to put some serious pressure on your marriage. Oof, we were only a year and a half into being married. We were still newbies, right? Were we ready for that? 
we felt an invitation to invest in us first. So we hit pause, and we decided to go to Europe. Best decision ever. But the day before we left, my younger brother got in a life-threatening car accident, alcohol-related. And this past week, two weeks ago now, marks the one-year anniversary of that day and the hell of a year that it's been in between. Family pain, betrayal, drama, addiction, heartbreak. This year, I had to learn to grieve. I'm still learning how to grieve. But honestly, nothing has made my marriage stronger. I couldn't imagine, though, parenting in the midst of this past year. So I'm really thankful that God gave us a yellow light. And this spring, we picked up the process again. We had a couple more trainings to go to, but after this last session, J.D. and I got into the car, and I was silent. Not normal for me. We just spent three hours learning about the trauma that these kids experience and how this process is otherwise known as the love and let go program. That 50% of the time, and that's generous, these kids are reunited with their parents and 50% of the time they are adopted. I knew in my mind that this was the most restorative process, but my heart my heart was screaming at me, knowing my silence was a request to verbally process. JD asked me, what's going on? I burst into tears. I said, I'm so afraid of what, he asked. I'm afraid that fostering a child will just wreck me. And I didn't want to be wrecked. I was afraid that I couldn't handle it, that my heart would break and it couldn't be put back together. The number one thing that people say to us when they learn that we're going to foster to adopt is, oh, I could never do that. I would just get too attached. Or I would love them too much. It would just be too hard. But truthfully, I know I will get attached. I will love them too much because they'll be in my home for months before officially they could be adopted. And I don't think I can do it, if I'm being honest. I realized that day that this type of love will wreck me. And it was crazy for me to realize that in my middle-class, comfortable Christian world, it's easy to avoid sacrifice. That there are a few times that American Christians really need God. And I realized that fostering to adopt was literally impossible for me to do on my own. I really need God. And I won't be patient enough. And I'll snap at my husband. And I'll wonder if the sadness will end. And I'll come to God, though, in moments of crazy praise for the growth that we get to see in this kid that I'll only be able to give God the credit for. This type of love will get super real this fall, potentially, when we'll be done with our home study process and we'll be welcoming a child 
into our home. If God is love, we've been talking about, that we've been stepping towards, to really know God, to really know love, the question I am constantly feeling like I need to ask myself is not only for me, but will we go to the places, will we love the people where that type of love will wreck us? And so, do you see, even in my story, separate even from what we've experienced as a community and nation in this past week, that fear and love and risk, it all comes in the same package. And I tell you our story for two reasons. It is definitely not to get a pat on the back. It actually really bugs me. But it's simply to just open up a real-life episode of following Jesus when you really have no idea what you're doing. And that's how I feel. And I also tell you that because you are our family, Mill City Church. You are our family. And we want you to know us. And we hope that you can want and desire that between each other, not just with blood family, but this is what we've got, some of us. And you inspire us, not only JD, but we inspire each other to live this type of life. Not only in these big ways, but in everyday ways. When you choose to talk to the person signing on the corner. Or when you choose to mentor a kid and you're not sure what what that's going to look like. Or you move into a new neighborhood and you're just trying to get to know your neighbor. Even in those small ways, that's the type of church that we are where we're not afraid to risk. And it's because what I've seen God doing in this community, because of the courage I see in all of you, that's why we feel like we can do this. And so we come back to this question, what makes love worth the risk? It's relationship, right? It's the who that matters most. The fact that I can look out and I can see your faces and we're in this together. It's the who that matters most, to love God, our fellow neighbor, our family, our church, and the stranger, and our enemy. I know the natural sort of reaction for fear is that we don't want to love people who are different from us. We're afraid of what that risk is like. And there's evidence in our culture all over the place. But what if, what if we became this this church that was able to see others the way that God sees them? That every person, as we look, is made in the image of God, is invaluable. Every person. And so when we start to feel fearful, when we're listening to the news, or when we're talking with someone that we disagree with, this is a hot political season nonetheless as well. This is a simple tool that I hope that we can take with us. God, to pray this prayer when we start to feel fearful. Help me see them the way that you see them. Show me them as my brother or my sister. God, give me your eyes to see them. So when you start feeling that fear, pray this prayer. God, give me your eyes to see them the way that you see them.
I've heard this said that when we label people, we literally lose our ability to love them. But what if we call them our brother or our sister? I think the who, not the what, matters most. And so what does it look like to love what God loves? How can we step toward God even in, if love might cost us something? And so I think the first step, it, it, it's actually quite simple. It's just saying yes. That God's going to ask and, and bring an idea in your mind, bring a person into your life to love and to step towards. And I think sometimes our first reaction is to say, but I, I don't know how to do that. Or I actually don't like that person. Or they hurt me. But if God is asking you, and if you trust God, then really all you have to say is yes. And his promise is that in Joshua 1.9, I will go with you wherever you go. That not only am I with you, but I will give you the courage. And I have all the tools. It's trusting God in the unknown. What this makes me think of is when our missional community, uh, Captives Free, we call ourselves Devoted now, we call it our street name. Um, when we went down to Florida to get trained to go into strip clubs, it was interesting because the way that the whole week ended up being set up was we actually went to into the strip clubs first and then got trained. Wouldn't have been my preference, honestly. <laughs> Not really the way you think it should go, right? But so we arrived, most of our team arrived on Thursday night, and then that night we just we went into like four or five different strip clubs. And they kind of gave us what we needed to know and we prayed before we went out. But it wasn't until afterwards, the next day, when sort of the emotion and the heartbreak settled in, when I had seen those faces of those women who were caught in the sex industry, when I had seen strip club after strip club, like right next to a Target. And the people who were training us, Keisha, who actually came here um, and actually sparked this idea to go down to Florida, she was doing the training and she said, do your hearts break? Now you've seen, you can't unsee what you've seen. And she said, you don't have all the tools. You're going to say the wrong things. She said, but all you have to do is say yes. All you have to do is say yes to God. And so I don't know who it is or what it is that God might be asking you about. Might be nudging you to love or what your heart breaks for. But will you say yes? Will you say yes? And I think the second step is simply, who is going with you? To ask this question, who is going to go with me? Who is going to risk with me? And this is honestly, I think, one of our biggest issues that we oftentimes talk about, like, everyone needs to have their own calling, and everyone needs to be passionate about something, and everyone needs to sort of have immense purpose and just go off and do it on their own, and then for some reason that's better than doing it with other people. No, this is what the church is for. This is why we have to lean upon each other. This is why I'm not fostering to adopt by myself, but not only am I doing that with my husband, I'm doing that with you, 
That's why we do parent dedications, is to reach out and say, we need to do this together. So who is going with you to love those caught up in the homeless community? Who is going with you when you're raising money for running on purpose, when you're running the marathon? Group runs are for a reason, right? People can't do that on their own. There's, I always run way longer when someone else is running with me. We are made to do this together. Even Jesus, even though he had some disappointing moments with his disciples, he had 12 people to go with him. When you have people to risk with you, to love with you, when your love runs out, you can rely upon God's and their love. And so much more, I think, can happen when two or more are gathered together. That's why we do missional communities. We don't just say, oh, go off and figure out what you're passionate about and serve Jesus. No, do this together. Do this together. We have to let go of this you know, myth or sort of romanticizing individualism that that's the hero way. And so love is a risk and it's not meant to be taken by yourself. Jesus, towards the end of his ministry, he really sets out to encourage his disciples. And they, he's, they just, he just says to them that you'll never be left alone. And I've told you these things, that even though you will face discouragement and that you will face troubles, in this world, sort of just says, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We love for the who. We risk for who God calls us to. As demonstrated by Christ, as he trusts the Father into the unknown, that's my hope for us this morning. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up as we close our service. And as we close today, we're going to be taking communion together. I'll even invite the ushers to come forward. And so as we come to this table, in my house we always say life happens at the table. I think that's where we can have a really honest conversation with God. What, what, what's on your heart this morning? What, where are you feeling the pressure and the fear? How might you be able to cultivate that trust with God again to be able to say yes? Who is worth the risk this morning that God is putting on your heart? Or maybe you just need to have a real honest conversation with God, with Christ, and say, I am so mad right now. I hope that we can be honest as we take communion together to sort of picture Jesus sitting at the table ready to have that conversation with you. For, to, for us to ask for courage that he'll give it and he'll give it generously. And so as you come, I invite you to sort of imagine with God what it looks like for you to say yes and who might be going with you this morning. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are the ultimate example. That even though this morning um, it's, hard, it's hard to follow you, it's hard to follow your lead, and that your love is so much bigger than what we can imagine, but Lord, you fill in the gaps. So Lord, where our heart and our love runs out, God, 
Lord, would we trust you? So Lord, thank you for the invitation to this table. You are good, and your love endures forever. Amen.